please turn in your Old Testaments now to Lamentations chapter 5, verses 19 through 22. Lamentations 5, 19 through 22. And this is the very word of God. You, Lord, are enthroned forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why have you forgotten us forever, abandoned us for our entire lives? Lord, restore us to yourselves that we may return, renew our days as in former times, unless you have completely rejected us and are intensely angry with us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. So, we are coming to the conclusion of the book of Lamentations, and one of the things we've learned is that God wants us to pour our hearts out realistically, authentically to Him. God doesn't want us to pretend like things aren't happening in our lives. God doesn't want us to, to like put a face on. God doesn't want us to be Southern with Him. He wants us to pour out the reality of our sorrow, of, of the struggles that we have, of the fears that we have. That's what a lament is. A lament is an honest reflection from inside of us, out toward God. Something He already sees, He already knows, and we are able to lament. We are able to express sorrow and grief and difficulty. And a lament is not like unbelief. I mean, it's not like... A true lament is not like, well, maybe, you know, I've got these hard things going on in my life, God, so maybe you're not there, or, or maybe you're, you're not doing your job, or something like that. Oh, no, 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 no. Please understand. A lament, like in Lamentations, is the ultimate demonstration of belief. Because a lament brings who we actually are, what we're actually struggling with before God. And a lament says, oh yes, I know you're not only there, but that you allowed this to happen. And I am so sad, so struggling, I'm filled with regret, whatever it is that we're feeling. But I know that you are there, I know that you allowed this to happen. A a lament sometimes feels like a little bit of a, a protest lodged against God who is there. But you know what's great about this honesty that we've learned about? That a lament is not just a cry out to God in our pain, but it is a cry for healing from God. Oh, yes, you are there. Oh, yes, you have allowed this in my life. And to whom else should I go? Only you can heal me. And this is exactly where the book of Lamentations ends. With a crying out of a lament and a crying out for healing from God. Now, I'd like to put this very simply for us this morning. Just one sentence. When I'm down, I must look up. When I am down, I must look up. When you are down, you must look up. 
You have to look up. And I want to start by this idea of, of the sorrow and the sadness of, of the hurt that sometimes just won't go away in our lives when we are down. You know, the first 18 verses of Lamentations 5 is a, is a litany of horrifying realities that are still on the ground. The destruction of Jerusalem has already happened. Uh, people whose houses were not destroyed have their houses occupied by foreigners and there is no replacement program for the Israelites. It's just wherever you can find to live, whatever you can find to eat, whatever you can find to drink. I mean, this is an incredible thing, but, but the whole destruction thing is over. We're, we're sometime after that. Now we're in Jerusalem or we're in Babylon, depending on which group you are with. Now we're, we're months after the fact. This, this pain that, that is being felt in Lamentations chapter 5, because each one of these chapters is a separate poem, is a separate lament to God. No, uh, it's not so much the hurt of the, the infliction of the wound. You know, when somebody inflicts a wound on you right then, you say, ouch, that hurts. This isn't the hurt of the infliction of the wound anymore. This is the hurt of the infection that is set in from that wound. And the festering and, and the hardship that is not going away. And lamentations is a postcard from the aftermath. And it is shocking. And it is real. Lamentations 5.1. I want to read some of this to you. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance, meaning Jerusalem and the land, our inheritance has been turned over to strangers and our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans fatherless and our mothers are like widows and it just keeps going and you read on and there's violence and there's intimidation and they can't find water and they have to pay with money they don't have for water and they can't find food and there's starvation and there's raping of the young girls it is unbelievable what these people are going through and there is no sign of this abating anytime soon and we get to verse 15 the joy of our hearts has ceased our dancing has turned, been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. You know those movies... And there's lots of them. Those movies that basically the plot is, this is America after World War III. You know, it's like whatever World War, you know, maybe, you know, our technology uh, ended up destroying us. Maybe there was a nuclear holocaust. Maybe we created robots that killed almost all of us. And now there's a group of humans that are left behind. And, you know, there's all these zombies and everything else, you know. Um, there are a lot of movies like this. Uh, great movie, I Am Legend by, with Will Smith, The Book of Eli with Denzel Washington. These are just examples of an entire genre of movies that is known as post-apocalyptic movies. That's Judah. 
It's post-apocalyptic. It's post-destruction. It's post-unspeakable. It's post-defeat. It's post-normal life. It's gone. It's different and it's not changing. What do you do when the hurt won't go away? You know, what do people do when they have a sickness and it's chronic? And it's not going away. What do people do when they love somebody who has an an incredible chronic illness and a debilitating illness and it's not going away? What do you do with relationships that just are not changing? What do you do when you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you wake up somewhere on the other side of the world because that's where you live and you're not sure whether you're going to have a job at the end of the day because you're a Christian. It's called persecution. You're not sure whether you might get thrown into prison or somebody you love might get thrown into prison. You're not sure that next Sunday in church whether you're going to see all your friends in church because they might very well be in prison or they might be in heaven. And the regime isn't going anywhere. What do you do? I mean, aren't you glad that the Bible is about real people? With, with real struggles and a real God. I mean, aren't you glad that, that the Bible doesn't tell you to imagine things that, that, that aren't true and to try to pretend like things are true that they aren't true? This isn't Neverland. This is life in a fallen world. It's okay for us to hurt. It's okay for us to struggle in the midst of ongoing chronic challenge. And it is okay, yea, verily, it is what God wants for us to pour our hearts out to God in relationship to Him. So, when I'm down, when it doesn't look like it's going away, when it's hard, look up. It's where we go. That's the second thing. When I'm down, I must look up. That's what happens in this passage because the throne of God is greater than anything that you and I can go through. The throne of God is greater because God is greater and He is transcendent over all. He is all-powerful, all-glorious, and all-loving. Look, I realize that God is here. I, I realize that God loves us and He's right here. But you, we need to remember that God's not just here. God really is transcendent and He is above all. He really does reign. Throne is code for absolute authority and, and, and unchallengeable, really, authority over all that exists. We look at the throne and the throne is forever, we read. The throne will outlast anything that we are going through. Verse 19, you, Lord, are enthroned forever. 1 through 18. God, this is happening. God, how are we going to do this? God, our hearts are broken. God, our, our dance is turned to death. Look to him. Verse 19, it shifts. You, O Lord, your throne is forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. You know, one of the people that uh, sometimes I don't want to hear from because I don't want to imagine that something like that would ever happen to me, and I'd rather just kind of live separately from thinking about stuff like that, is Joni Erickson Tata. 
Uh, many of you know who Joni Erickson Tata is. Uh, God has raised her up to kind of be a spokesperson for what life is like when the, when the hard things won't go away. Joni Erickson Tata was 17 years old, a very vivacious young girl, athletic, artistic, a great singer, all of these things. And one day uh, they were swimming out in the lake and uh, she ran down the path to the dock and she wanted to be the first one in and she dove into that water not knowing that it was about that deep and broke her neck and has been a quadriplegic ever since. That was in 1967. It's been really interesting to, to kind of watch her because Joni Erickson Tata has a message that not everybody can give us. Joni Erickson Tata basically says, says something like this. When you're down, you need to look up. That's the only place I have to look up. And I want you to know this morning God got me up. And God's love is sufficient. And God is greater than my, my problems. And you too can trust God. And that's kind of why we, I'm not sure I want to hear that all the time because I, I don't want to imagine I'd have to like go there and do that. And the message is, is, hey, I don't know what you're going through, but Joni Erickson Tata is saying, look, you can look up. Trust me. You can look up. And I want to read a few quotes from her. She says, heartache forces us to embrace God out of desperate, urgent need. God is never closer than when your heart is aching. And that's true. She says, quote, my wheelchair has been the key to seeing what has happened, especially since God's power always shows up best in weakness. So here I sit. And I'm glad that I have not been healed on the outside but glad that I have been healed on the inside, healed of my own self-centered wants and wishes. Ouch. I added ouch. The ouch wasn't in hers. Last one. My weakness, that is my quadriplegia, is my greatest asset because it forces me into the arms of Christ every single morning when I get up. When I'm down, I must look up. I must look up. You see, a, a lament is an outpouring of what is real and painful. It is an outpouring sometimes of regret, sometimes of fear, but, but it turns into a kind of looking up when it's a real lament. Do you know how you can tell whether it's a real lament or just self-centeredness and self-pity? Because when it's not a real lament, it congeals into something called bitterness. When it's not a real lament, your, your hands spiritually kind of freeze in this position. You, you just kind of freeze into a, a statue with your, with your fist raised to God. And I'm going to tell you, in 28 years of being a pastor, I have never seen this raised at God lead to any kind of peace and any kind of shalom, any kind of wholeness. I'm telling you, some people can tell you all about their pain, but they're just mad. They're not just heartbroken, which is fine. They're down, and they don't look up. You know, lament finally turns into a kind of looking up for healing of our hearts and minds for whatever situation we might be in and for as long as it lasts. That's actually very good news. 
We used an old Puritan prayer earlier in worship. The prayer itself is called the Valley of Vision. It comes from the book, The Valley of Vision. It's the, the prayer that the book's named after. It's written in the 1600s by one of our wonderful theological forebears. But I did not include the entire prayer. And what I'd like to do now is I'd like to read the rest of the story, if you will. I'd like to read the rest of the prayer. The valley is the place of vision. This is when you're down, you can see better. You can look up. You can encounter God and His glory and His love. So let me start over. The valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime... Stars can be seen from deepest wells. And the deeper the wells, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness. Let me find thy life in my death. Let me find thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty thy glory in my valley. It's actually true if you go down into a shaft of a well and it's dark, you can see the stars in the daytime. And the deeper you go, the more you can see the stars shine. No, there's going to be a hard choice for each one of us. Whether when we're down, we're going to look up or whether it's going to congeal into bitterness. The wound is the way, if you let it be. Let me say that again. The wound is the way, if you'll just let it be the way. And follow that way to the throne, to the one who really does rule, who really loves you. So when I'm down, I lament. It's okay. When I'm down, I look up to the only one who can heal me. Look at verse 21. Lord, restore us to yourself. I look to your throne. Your throne is forever. Lord, on your throne, restore us to yourself so that we may return to you. Renew our days like former times. We w- bring us back to you. This is what he is saying to God on the throne. So, this is not hard. When I'm down, I must look up. But I want to conclude this study of the book of Lamentations exactly the way the author of Lamentations concludes this book. And it is surprising. It is unusual It ends with what you might call the final question of Lamentations. The final question is verses 20, 21, and 22. And verse 22 is the final question. And in some translations, it is kind of a question. Some translations, it's more of a statement. In the ESV, it's a statement. But I want you to take it as somebody musing before God and just holding something out before God. So... Here's the way the book of Lamentations ends. And you have all been wonderful the last seven weeks. Verse 20. Why have you forgotten us forever? 
Why have you abandoned us our entire lives? Lord, restore us to yourself so that we may return to you, renew our days like the former times. And then, verse 22, unless you have completely rejected us and are intensely angry with us. Now, this is not the classic they lived happily ever after kind of ending. Do you understand, like, if this were a movie, the, the camera would be down in, in Jerusalem, in the ruins of Jerusalem, and when we pan away from the book of Lamentations, do you know what has changed in Jerusalem? Nothing. As the camera pans away, as we fade to white, they are still suffering. The end. There is so much raw emotion in these words. It's, it's just amazing how much is packed. W- will you forget us forever? This is right after your throne is forever. Will you abandon us our entire lives? It's, it's kind of like I remember when, when our daughters were littler, you know, when they were small, they, they would kind of get like emotionally ahead of themselves. Their words would get a their hearts will get ahead of their words and it's like are you going to punish me forever do you not love me anymore you know you, you kind of sometimes when you're real emotional kind of go to like the nuclear option you know you you kind of go way out a little further well no actually we just want you to sit on the bottom step for 20 minutes you know um, but are you going to punish us forever but you know that comes out of a heart whether it's an adult whether it's a child of incredible pain of incredible disappointment or incredible, you know, emotion. And that's exactly what the way the book of Lamentations ends. God, are you going to forget us forever? Are you going to abandon us for our entire lives? And then that last question, will you be angry with us forever? No. God's throne is forever, and God, as we learned in Lamentations 3, is the Lord of covenant love who has made promises, and for Him to not love His people anymore would be to go against His holy character and go against His promises, and He will never do that. And maybe more importantly than those kind of tracks that God runs on because that's who He is, is the fact that He does love us because He wants to. And that is forever. Great is Thy faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. We read that right in the middle of this horrific pain in the postcard from the aftermath in the book of Lamentations. They are looking up and he is the one who is in the process of healing them. Um, what's interesting is, is as this book ends, if you kind of put it in a question, which you can, it's kind of like um, the writer just leaves this, this question just hanging out there. I mean, it's fundamentally answered in the sense that Lamentations 3 talks about the covenant love of God. Uh, verse 21 talks about God's restoration after verse 19 that we just read about his throne. So it's kind of implicitly answered. But you know what? This question's hanging out there and it is not 
specifically answered. Will you be angry with us forever? Unanswered. It's hanging out there. In order to be picked up by somebody else who will finally, decisively answer that question forever. And that's the Messiah. It's kind of like in Ezra and Nehemiah and the the Jewish arrangement of the Old Testament that the last scene has the words, and he shall go up. Stop. Like, who's he and where's he going? Well, that's why the angel Gabriel came to a virgin in Nazareth to announce that he would be conceived and he was born and he lived and he healed and he preached the, the good news and he died. You see, this is hanging out there. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you reject us forever? This is hanging out there so somebody else can pick it up and, and answer it. And I was thinking the other day, you know, one of the... The interesting things about being a preacher is like you're always thinking, what is this like? How, how can I get a window into this? How can I understand this? And uh, I was mowing my grass and I suddenly realized what it was like. And I've been waiting to tell you for three days. It is like one of the most incredible, startling plays in the game of basketball. Y'all know basketball? Okay, I'll tell you what it's like. It's like this, this amazing play that comes out of nowhere called the alley-oop. Y'all know what an alley-oop is? Now, you know, some of y'all know what an alley-oop is. For those of you that don't know what an alley-oop is, let me explain it to you, okay? Uh, an alley-oop is when, when a player takes the ball, and you know, the, the goal of basketball, in case you don't know, is to put it in the hoop. All right, and you get points for that and stop the other people from doing it. That's pretty much basketball. But uh, the, the player takes the ball and he throws the ball up. And if you're like really rooting for your team, and let's say that your team is the, the one where the guy, you're like, oh no, because you can tell that the arc of the ball, it's not going to go in the basket. You can tell that it's not a pass because it's way too high. I mean, the ball is just thrown up and it's just hanging there in the air with seemingly no particular purpose until some gigantic, strong basketball player grabs it in the air and slams it through the hole. Slams it. And I mean, it is dunk. It is over. This is exactly what the book of Lamentations is like. Will you be angry? With us forever? Will you abandon us forever? And he throws the ball of our sin and God's anger up into the air. And it is the one who would come. It is the Messiah. And Jesus grabs that ball. Let me tell you, it's windmill dunked through the hole. And it is finished on the cross. It's done. Game over. God wins. We win. And He is not angry with us anymore. And He will never be angry with us in the sense of His wrath anymore. It's amazing. The alley-oop of grace. (laughs) What Jesus does when He dies on the cross and says it's finished, is that he drains all of the anger of God, rightfully placed on us as sinners, as a holy God. He drains every bit of it away. 
Here's the $10 theological word. You ready for it? It's called propitiation. Propitiation simply means when someone drains the anger out of another person on behalf of the person that deserves it. Does does God judge us anymore? No. God judged Jesus Christ. God took, put our sin on Jesus Christ. God pushed all of his anger down and his judgment down on Jesus Christ. And Jesus drained the wrath of God completely. He drank the cup of God's wrath, uh, to use his metaphor, until it was completely dry. This is propitiation. 1 John 2, 2. He is the propitiation for our sins. Will you be angry with us forever? No. 1 John 4, 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then, of course, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation, no wrath, no judgment, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that incredible? That's incredible. Listen to me. Listen to me. As you wrestle with the things that won't go away in your life, Listen to me, just as God's throne is forever, also His grace is forever. His wrath is gone forever. This is not approaching the throne simply because God's in charge and He can change things when He wants to. This is approaching the throne because God not only sits on that throne, but God the Son left that very throne because He loved you. And he came into this world specifically to drain the wrath of God away from you so that you would not have to experience God's punishment. He will take your sins, my sins, when we put our trust in him, and he gives us nothing but relationship in return. And this is all of his work. This is all of his victory. It is given to us. That is why it is called grace, because it is a gift. And this, there is nothing between now. Nothing but relationship. And that is why lamentation. Pouring our hearts out to God when we are sad. Looking up to the throne and having that question of God's anger answered through the gospel. This is why lamentation heals us. He is there. And He is grace. And you can trust the throne of God. He's bigger than our issues. And His love is greater than our hurts. You know, the Jewish liturgical tradition on this book of Lamentations, I I think I mentioned the first week when we we eased into this book, and I think y'all were thinking, what are you doing taking us into the book of Depression? Lamentations. Just hang on. We'll get to chapter 3. But I think I mentioned the first week the liturgical tradition of the Jews uh, until this day. Once a year in the synagogues, they they turn over the table, I mean, excuse me, the chairs, and they drag a lot of chairs out. And and only the people that can't stand are able to sit. And and they read to, to symbolize Jerusalem being destroyed. And they read the book of Lamentation word for word once a year to pour out their anguish for the removal of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. But this is really interesting. When they are doing that, 
and they come to the last three verses of Lamentation. Their liturgical tradition is this. They read verse 21, Restore us, O God, turn us back to you, that we might live in the former way with you, etc. They read 21, then they read 22, you know, will you be angry with us forever? And, and they won't stop the book right there. They read 21 again. I mean, I kind of get that emotionally. That's not what God the Holy Spirit wrote. I kind of get that you're trying to like put a happy ending on a really difficult situation. Do you know why they read 21 again? Because in their minds, the Messiah hadn't come yet. Because that's still hanging out there and they don't like to think about that. And so they're just going to go back to the kingship of God. You know, the good news, folks, is we don't have to do that. We don't have to run from the issues in our lives. We don't have to pretend like they don't exist. We don't have to be southern with God. We don't have to rearrange the furniture to make everything okay. We can read 22 and we can see Jesus answering that question once and for all for us. We can be represented at the throne of God perfectly accepted and loved forever. That is incredible. Jesus came from the throne of God in verse 21 to restore us to answer the question in verse 22 about whether or not we would ever have a relationship with God that was real and free from the condemnation of God. He came from that throne to answer that question. He was raised and he sits at the right hand of the Father on that throne. And if you've put your trust in Him, there is nothing greater than Him. There is nothing greater than His glory and His sovereignty and His kingship over all. There just isn't. And there's, there's got to be some rest that comes in. That is God. And there is nothing greater than His love. And probably in our pain, nothing greater than knowing that we have a relationship with that God who sits on the throne and he loves us more than any person we have ever known or shall ever know in this life. Therefore, we can be real with God. Whatever is going on in your life that's hard, and it just is, Lamentations was written for you and for the church at various places as well. When you're down, you can lament. When you're down, you can look up and know that the one who sits on the throne is the one who loves you perfectly and will lovingly restore you, your heart and your mind, and bless your life regardless of the circumstances. That's kind of what it means to know God. Let's pray. Lord, as we close the book on Lamentations, would you, uh, would you cause us to be honest with you? Would you cause us to actually be able to lament before you? And God, would you cause us to look up 
and to see a Savior there and not just a king and not a judge. If you've never put your trust in what Jesus has done on our behalf and you'd like to, you don't want to risk the wrath of God on your own, then you pray with me. Lord, I see it. I I cannot make myself acceptable to you. And thank you that you've sent Jesus to answer that question, to, to remove my sins and your anger against them. I turn from everything that I've called Christianity, everything that I've called religion, and I put my trust, Jesus, in this gift. It is finished of what you give. And Lord, there are many people that know you and love you and we all get there where we're just stuck. God, we kind of know in our hearts one of the reasons we're stuck is because we don't want to look up. And Lord, maybe we don't want to look up because we've condemned ourselves. Maybe we don't look up because we've condemned other people and we like it that way. And we'll just keep blaming them with clenched fists against you and them. Would you melt a heart here today? Would you unclench a spiritual fist here today? Would you cause a believer to look up and see your open arms and be re-amazed at the fact that there truly is nothing in between? Lord, would you reestablish, would you restore the joy of our salvation? Would you reestablish the assurance of your love? Would you secure us even as you sing over us when we have ears to hear, when we have eyes to see? Calls us to see, calls us to worship. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.